Matthew chapter 3 tonight. Matthew chapter 3, if you don't have a Bible, these guys will get you one. Matthew chapter 3. We're looking at what I consider to be a really cool portion of Scripture in the chronological study of the life of Christ. And I'm just um, giving Aaron and Zach a break. Um, and I'll be jumping in periodically. But tonight I'm covering the baptism of Christ. As we're doing a chronological study in the course of his life, I'm taking a look at his baptism. We find that in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. But before we get to Matthew chapter 3, I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Drop down uh, to verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 9. And the passage reads, But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come, and with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats... And the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, uh, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So we see here in verse 14 that Jesus offered himself through the Holy Spirit to God the Father. He offered himself through the Holy Spirit to God the Father. And you want to find out when that happened, turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll pick up, oh, let's do verse 1. For the law having the shadow of the good thing to come, and not the very image of the things that can never with the same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make uh, those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, for the worshipers once purged would have had no more conscience of sin." But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. And here's where I want to make a point. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sin. Therefore, when he, meaning Jesus, came into the world. When did he come into the world? (laughs) Christmas. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, he was born, wasn't he? To Mary and Joseph. Christmas. Now, we don't know when Christmas was, do we? So when he came into the world, he said, check this out. He said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. You have no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. Now, Jesus came, born in, as a baby. We studied this. Behold, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. And why did he come? Look at it. Why did he come? To do thy will, O God. Why did he come into the world? To do the will of the Father. Why did he come into the world? To do the will of the Father. What was the will of the Father? That he would die in your place, my place, that we would be saved of our sin. So before he was given a body, before he was given a body, we see in in Hebrews 9 that he offered himself to God through the Spirit. Then the Father gave him a body, and he says, I've come into the world, lo, it is written of me, I've come into the world to do thy will, O God. 
So Jesus was, was offered to God through the Spirit, born of the Spirit. Yes? So this is the interaction of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Same as with Jesus. Jesus offered himself to the Father through the Spirit, was born of the Spirit. Yes? Born of the Spirit. To do what? To do the will of the Father. Why do I say that? Because the same that applied to Jesus applies to you and me. That's why we're doing the chronological study of the life of Christ. Have you offered your life to God through the Spirit? Have you been born of the Spirit? Have you come to do the will of God the Father? Is that your life's desire now? Well, when that's done, then we come back, ready, to Matthew chapter 3. Here we go. Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance." And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. We studied that this morning. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. And therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Say it again, Holy Spirit. Offered yourself to God through the Holy Spirit, born of the Holy Spirit, and now you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan, to be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to John, Permit it to be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill what? To fulfill what? All righteousness. Well, then John allowed him. He didn't argue. He's just like, okay. So whatever Jesus said obviously convinced John to go forward with it. And then finally, then Jesus, when he had been baptized, came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, not a dove, but like a dove, and alighting, that must have been beautiful, upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, ready? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That is amazing. This whole picture, you see a picture of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all present in this moment. This baptism, we see a picture of John the Baptist, which is an Elijah, 
picture of Elijah making straight the way of the Lord as Isaiah declares. And what's interesting about this entire presentation is John the Baptist. Jesus said of John the Baptist, of men born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. That's a pretty cool, I don't know, I'd like that title. Anyone born of a woman in here? Anyone not born of a woman? And of all men and women born of a woman, there's none greater than John the Baptist. Jesus said, what did you come out here to see? A bruised reed, a smoking flax? Or he said, what did you come out here to see? He said, this is, this is John the Baptist. And what's interesting about John the Baptist is he was a relative of Jesus. He was his cousin. He was six months older than Jesus. He was in the womb of Elizabeth. And when Mary walked by Elizabeth, John was doing all leaps going, this is the dude in that other womb over there. And you want to tell it a blob of tissue? They're already communicating in the womb. In America, we could still get rid of them, and it's legal. So is slavery, but let's move on. You see the significance of that, right? But in this moment where these these two babies in the womb come into contact, and John's doing leaps, and Elizabeth is like, whoa. The Lord is recognizing that John the Baptist is an Elijah, and he goes before Jesus. John knows who he is. As a matter of fact, when John was arrested later, You know what he got arrested for? John the Baptist, or Johann the Immerser, he got arrested for for calling Herod out that he was sleeping with his brother's wife. Here's what happened with John. He got too political. You don't mix politics and religion. No, you do. You may go to jail, but you still do it. And he was in prison. He was languishing there, and his disciples were peeling off and going elsewhere. And, and John turns to a few remaining disciples. He says, listen, I'm in prison. This isn't looking good. Jesus' ministry was increasing. John's was decreasing, as it says in John 3.30. I must in- decrease that he might increase. And he's watching his ministry decrease. And he turns to his disciples. He says, go and find Jesus. Ask him if he's the Messiah. John was having a crisis of faith, and he's in prison. And so his disciples go to find Jesus. They find him. As they come up, they say, uh, John wants to know if you're the Messiah. He says, tell them that the blind see and the lame walk and the deaf hear. And they're like, okay. And as they start to walk back to go tell John this, they're out of earshot. Jesus then turns to the people remaining and says, I got to tell you something about John the Baptist. Of men born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. That guy's amazing. John the Baptist, on the other hand, is waiting in prison. He's waiting for his disciples to come back. He's praying, asking for an answer because he's having a crisis of faith. And as he's praying, guess what happens? The guards come down because Salome who was uh, the daughter of the woman he, that Herod was sleeping with. Uh, and and, and, and Salome's mother was so upset that, that John the Baptist, how dare he, he bring morality into this and tell me how I'm supposed to live? Who are you to tell me how I'm supposed to live? Well, you're a public official. And so Salome starts to dance for Herod. Herod's had a little alcohol. And we find out her name Salome through Josephus. It's not in the scriptures, her name. And she does this seductive dance before Herod. And Herod, a little inebriated, goes, hey, that's awesome. I'll give you anything you want up to half my kingdom. And then she whispers into her mother's ear, what do I ask for? And the mother says, tell him you want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. So she says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Herod liked John. And he was actually convicted by what he said. 
but he didn't have a spine. So he said, all right. And so John's praying, waiting for Jesus' answer to say, are you the Messiah? And while John's waiting, he hears steps coming down into his prison cell. It's not his disciples and it's not Christ. It's the, it's the prison guards. They grab him, violently bring him up and cut his head off. Put it on a platter and bring it to Herod. Can you imagine John's last breath? He's just wondering. None of it makes sense. And as the axe comes down, boom! And his head rolls. And he exhales his last breath on the earth. And he inhales his first breath in heaven. And all things are made known. He realizes he is the Messiah. And it was all worth it. John was a gnarly guy. He was an Essene. He lived in the wilderness. His face was leathered from the Middle Eastern sun. The, kid, the guy just ripped off the heads of locusts, chewed them, ate wild honey, wore camel's hair. He reminded me of that guy in taxi. Hey! You know? Hey! Maybe he didn't see taxi. It was years ago. Seinfeld, maybe that guy. When he comes in, whoa, Jerry! That guy. That, okay, never mind. Kramer. He was worse than Kramer, though. This, John the Baptist was intense. And what's amazing about John is he walks in, and the first thing he says as he walks in to this realm, and he's in the wilderness of Judea, and he's preaching in the wilderness of Judea, what is it that he's preaching? Repentance. Repentance. He looks at him, and he says, repent. He doesn't say repent because you're heathen sinners. He doesn't say repent because you're losers. He doesn't say repent because you're pathetic. He says repent, and I'll tell you why. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'll give you a better example. Clean your room. Grandma and grandpa are almost here. Hello? Clean your room. Your mom and dad are coming home. Maybe for some of you, it doesn't matter. Clean your room. The president's coming. Some of you are going, who cares? Whatever, clean, do this because the boss is coming. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the picture of repent means change your mind. You're living for yourself, live for God. And when John says this, he says repent, and he gives a really good motivational reason for it, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he says, for this is he who spoke of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. John comes just declaring that this is, this is the way of the Lord, make straight the way of the Lord. And I think about this idea that he was declaring repentance. Repentance. It was the first word in his public ministry. And you think, wow, he was hardcore. You know what Jesus' first word was in his public ministry? Bueller? Bueller? Anyone? Repent. He said repent. The first word in preaching ministry of the disciples was repent. Learn from John, Jesus, disciples do it. The first exhortation in the first Christian sermon in Acts 2.38 was repent. And here's one more for you. The first word in the mouth of the Apostle Paul through his ministry, Acts 26, was repent. Why does God say that? Because we're living for ourselves, and the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and we have to give an accounting. We don't live for ourselves, we live for God. Change your mind about these things. It's not about you, it's about Jesus, right? 
John was declaring it. Jesus emphasized it. The disciples taught it and where to live it. And John was making straight the way of the Lord. And John himself, as it says, was clothed in camel's hair and leather belt around his waist, locusts, wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, where we usually typically do baptisms in Israel, uh, it's this location that Calvary Chapel and a bunch of other folks dedicated money to build this really cool baptismal site. It's not really the, the, the technical location of where Christ was baptized. Uh, the, the site that, that Christ was baptized is in the Palestinian territory, and it just opened up, and, and it looks like they're going to clear it, and we're going to be able to build out there, and it is out in the middle of nowhere. But it is a legitimate site. This is the wilderness where John the Baptist was, and, and this is where Jesus was baptized. And it's going to be hard to pool water because it's, it's higher up on the Jordan where most of the water is being taken. I should say lower down on the Jordan. So in the wilderness of this, this is where he came. And for folks to travel out in this capacity to get out there, this was the most prophetic ministry that had occurred in over 400 years. God had remained silent for 400 years since Malachi. There hadn't been a prophetic voice in Israel for for over 400 years. And now John the Baptist comes out and he's declaring the kingdom of God. And people are coming out and they're hungry for the things of God. And I have to tell you, in all my years in ministry, not until just recently have I started to notice that there's a hunger for the things of God. People are inquiring. People you'd never think would inquire, inquiring. And this is what's happening. And they're coming out from all over the place and they're confessing their sins. People are are coming face to face with their sins. They're starting to realize that you can do whatever you want and say whatever you want and try to redefine whatever you want. But the more I live in this world, the emptier it is. And there's got to be something more. And I've been involved in this segment of the world and I don't want it anymore. I want whatever God wants for me. And so they were at this place where they understood it. When God was silent for 400 years and man has his way, the world gets really dark. And all I have to tell you is this, and a lot of you guys will know it, and I, I pray not, not all of you come to know it, but I, I, can, I can testify to this. Just walk away from, from the Lord and just in, engage yourself in, in the darkness of the world. Indulge your every desire. Some of you guys, why are you saying that? Because I got news for you. First of all, it's going to destroy you. Physically, it's going to affect you. Emotionally, it's going to depress you. And spiritually, I pray that it'll bring you to the end of yourself. If you really feel like you need to test the Lord, you need to be like Thomas and put your fingers in the nail wound, you need God to show you something. Or maybe you're convinced and you're falling for the same temptation that Satan offered to Eve, that that God's holding out on you and you just don't trust him or believe him. You're going to get to a place where it's going to be so miserable, and I pray it doesn't take 400 years as it did in the darkness as man's sin was manifested on the earth, that you would finally start to hear the prophetic voice of God calling you back and saying, repent, turn around, change your mind, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I can tell you this from where I stand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It will be a moment of time before you'll be face to face with it. I'm 48. I I never, I could never fathom what's going to occur August 3rd. To me, it was yesterday I was holding this baby in my arms at the hospital. And now she's getting married. I don't, that was yesterday. Some of you are going, no, it wasn't. Look how old you are. Fine, you get to my age, you'll look back. And by the way, the older you get, the more time speeds up. 
I'm serious. It, there's, there's an equation that you can follow through physics that's very legitimate. The older you get, the faster time goes. I mean, you're pedaling down. You're getting speed wobble. It's all downhill. Everything starts falling off, and you're like, oh, and you just blow up, and then into eternity. Okay. My point is this. You'll get to a place in your life where you realize it's always been about repentance and doing things God's way, not your way. That's really what life is about. Your way or His way. Your way, death, destruction, and misery. His way, hope, life, transformation, change, power. This is death. This is life. Choose this day whom you'll serve. John lays it out. People respond to it. But there's always going to be this religious crowd. And watch what they do. Verse 7. But when John saw many uh, of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers. And by the way, Pharisees and Sadducees contended with each other. Uh, one didn't believe in a resurrection, and another was somewhat legalistic, and both of them were legalistic, but they, they contended. But what's interesting is the enemy, uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? So the Sadducees and the Pharisees came together in their hatred of Christ because Christ was edging in, not only was Christ, but so was John the Baptist, edging in on their hold of, of the people. They wanted to keep the religion going, and they didn't want people set free to serve God. And I got to tell you, there's not a greater way to make money in the world than religion. It is the quickest way to get rich. There's no bigger stick to hit someone over the head with than God to get money out of them. And you can manipulate them and play them and, and work them and, and devastate them. But you can also bankrupt them. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees knew exactly how to do it. And they come out to find out who's stealing our show. Because these people aren't showing up at the temple and our, our offerings are dropping. And why are they coming out here in the middle of nowhere? What in the world are you doing? Why is the church dwindling? Why are you going over to that church? <clears throat> and as they walk out there, John sees him coming. He is not a seeker-sensitive guy. I love, he's a man's man. He's just throwing down. John the Baptist is ripped. He's probably leathered. He looks like, he looks like a... a like a veteran World War II NCO Marine who's been through Guadalcanal and Okinawa and Peleliu and Iwo Jima and, and he's unscathed but a couple of scars and rips and he's, you know, he's just leathered and he's seen it all. And that's John the Baptist. And he sees him come and he just stares him down. And these are the, the most powerful religious leaders and they can tear him apart and they can buy and sell him a thousand times. He sees him coming, he looks at him in front of all these people. And he points at him. He doesn't say points, but I think he does. And, and he says, and he looks at him, he says, Brood of vipers! With an explanation point. You snakes! You belly-crawling, slithering, worthless human beings. You equivalents of Satan himself. You slithering monsters of deception. You tempters of Eve. Hallelujah. And he just looks at him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? You are going to get torn apart. Why are you here? 
And everyone's looking at them, and they're like, we, well, we wanted to participate. Well, then get in your clothes and let's get baptized. Well, we, we didn't really necessarily. We were, they're coming out to spy their, li- their liberties. And John calls them to account. And he looks at them in verse 8 and he says, Bear fruit worthy of repentance. One of my favorite verses. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. One of my favorites is you, you got a, a couple and, and one of the, the members of, of this married party is abusing the other. And they're, they have an, a substance abuse issue. And they get drunk and they beat the daylights out of the other one. And then they say, huh. and they come to their senses after the drug or the alcohol wears off and they go, honey, I swear to God I'll never hit you again. I swear to God I'll never hit you again. They get drunk again. Hit him again. They come out of it. I, I, I love you. I swear I'll never do it again. Guess what you're doing? You're moving out. Separation. And I get out of there. And they go, no, no, come back. I promise I'll change. You know when you go back? When they change. But according to this passage, and this is where you always seek that counsel, when they bear fruit in accordance with repentance. I've changed. Show me. I'm an apple tree. Show me the apples, baby. Show them to me. I'm an orange tree. I'm looking for them. I don't see any. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. When I see those, I'll move back in, but not until then. Do you get it? And John the Baptist was looking at these brood of vipers, and he says, I'll tell you what. I'll work with you when you repent. Because I'm looking at you, and there's no fruit on your tree. And the axe is at the base of your tree, and Jesus is going to cut you down and throw you into the fire. You declare you're righteous because you're a son of Abraham? You think you're righteous because you're in a church? You think you're righteous because your family was Christian or your mom and dad are Christian? You're not a son of Abraham based on that. God can make a son of Abraham out of that chair better than he can make a son of Abraham out of you. Why? Because your will is fighting him. You think your righteousness is what you've done or who you are. It's not. Your righteousness is by faith in who Jesus Christ is and in what he has done. That's it. And the rest is, God, have mercy on me and change me and transform me. I want to serve you. And that's where we come to the conclusion of this portion of Scripture. Watch this. He says, bear fruit in accordance with repentance, because every good uh, fruit, uh, every that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's hell. And now we get to verse 11. He says, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry or to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Even Satan said, let me sift Peter like wheat. You can have the chaff, 
and I'll take the wheat and I'll destroy him. And Jesus says, but Peter, I've prayed for you. And God, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for you. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and you're the voice in between God's voice and his voice. Choose this day whom you'll serve. You serve the flesh, you agree with Satan, it's death and destruction. You yield to God and do it his way. You offer yourself to God through the Spirit. You're born of, of, of the Spirit, right? And the Lord has written of you in the volume of the book, you've come to do God's will. And you're a new creature in Christ. The old passes away, the new comes, and now you're there. And how do you know that you're born of the Spirit? How do you know you're born again? How do you know? It's real simple. It's real simple. Repentance. You bear fruit in accordance with repentance. Your life has changed. Listen, you don't have to do good works to be saved. You will do good works because you are saved. There's going to be evidence that your life is affected by Christ. There's going to be a distinct change in your life. You'll know. You're going to have blips on the screen. You'll have some struggles periodically. But sin's going to be the exception, not the rule. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to separate the wheat from the chaff. You're not a Christian because you're in church. You're not a Christian because your parents are Christian. And you're not a Christian because, you know, you're a Christian when by faith you receive Christ's sacrifice. And his righteousness is put on your account. You receive it by faith. You don't earn it. He gives it to you. And in that picture, this is what happens in baptism. Watch. Verse 13. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you're coming to me? What kind of a baptism was this according to John the Baptist? What was he? What was, his, what was the first word out of his mouth in the sermon? Repent. Repent. It was a baptism under repentance, yes? A baptism under repentance, right? Hang on. A baptism under repentance, right? Now, what did Jesus have to repent of? He hadn't sinned. And John looks at him and goes, I've known you since I was a kid. I've known what my course of action is. I've been preparing the way for you. My mom told me about you. She's older. She's passed away that Mary and you were, and I know, and you're the Messiah, and I'm here to prepare the way, and you're here. I, I'm not, I don't baptize you. You baptize me. I'm a sinner. I've tried to live in the desert in a monastic living trying to avoid my sin nature, and I've had problems with it, and all I can tell you is I want you to move in my life, and I want to make straight the way of the Lord, and I want to say this is wrong, this is right, and I know what's right, and I know what's wrong, and I want to do what's right. I can't, but I'm making straight the way of the Lord, and I'm declaring my sin and confessing my sin, and I'm ready now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Help me. How do we do this? I, I, I need to be baptized by you, Jesus. And John's baffled. Why why are you here? Now watch what Jesus says. Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so for now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, right? Jesus answered John, and whatever he said to John settled it. Because look at the end of verse 15, then he allowed him. Then he allowed him. 
You see, John's sermon was a sermon of repentance, right? Hello? I know it's late. We're all tired. John's sermon was a sermon of repentance, yes? Confession of sin, yes? That's as far as he could take it. Lord, I have a need. I got an itch and I got no way to scratch it. Lord, I, we need to repent. We're confessing our sin. And the sermon was dominated by repentance. Jesus shows up and now he changes the theme of the sermon. It's no longer a theme of repentance. It becomes a theme of righteousness. You want to get right with God the Father? You want to get right? You see, the baptism was an outward expression of a desire for repentance. And Jesus said, well, now we're going to fulfill all righteousness. Fulfill means to supply, to furnish, to finish. We're going to take care of righteousness right now. You guys came out here to get right with God. We're going to take care of it. We're going to take care of it. Basically, Jesus was saying, John, you've done your your job. I'll take it from here. John, I'm going to make righteousness possible. And I'm going to show you how that's going to be done. And John says, okay. Okay. Do you want to know how to make righteousness happen? I would love to repent, but in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. Every time I've tried to repent, Pat, I have failed. I can of my own self do nothing, amen? I can confess my sins, but like a dog returning to its vomit, I go right back to them. Anyone else have that problem? Hello? Okay, a few of you, the rest of you, I guess, don't. And Jesus says, I've come to fulfill all righteousness. And here's the secret. Verse 16. And when he had been what? Baptized. When he'd been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You know what Jesus hadn't done at that moment? He hadn't done a single miracle. He hadn't performed a single miracle. Nothing. He hadn't even preached a sermon. He'd done nothing up to that point. And the father looks at him, and he's soaking wet, and he's done nothing. He hasn't even turned water into wine. Nothing. And the father says through the spirit, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Why? Because, listen, he offered himself to God through the spirit. He was born of the spirit. He was baptized by the Spirit. For what purpose? To do the will of the Father. And that is pleasing to Dad. Jesus did it and declared to you, if I must do it, so must you. Permit it to be so. Permit it to be so. Basically, what he was declaring is this is a need to fulfill all righteousness. 
Proverbs 8, 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. The righteous requirement of the law is met in us because Christ met it and we have been united to him, united to him, united to him. Look at me. Here's baptism. If you've never been baptized, it's important. Here's baptism. The water represents the grave. Okay? Galatians 2.20. I, ego, I, self-preservation, I, me, mine, my will, I, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dead. I'm buried. It's not just Christ's cross. It's the sinner's cross. It's yours and it's mine. We die, we die, we die. We're buried. And who comes up? Not me. In me, in my flesh dwells no good thing. I am a rotten, wretched, miserable, walking zombie. And I will suck the life out of you and bleed you dry. You know who comes out when we die? Jesus rises from the dead. We're alive in Christ. And Jesus said, this is how righteousness is fulfilled. We die, Jesus lives. Done. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me to will and to do of his good pleasure. Offered to God by the Spirit, born of the Spirit, and baptized in the Spirit. And here's what happens immediately following that. Immediately following that. The Father says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then we're going to see that the Spirit of God drives Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. But you know why he survives a temptation in the wilderness? Because he's offered himself to the Father through the Spirit. He's been born of the Spirit and he's been baptized in the Spirit. And all righteousness has been fulfilled and we are walking according to the will of the Father. Lo, it is written of me in the volume of the book, I've come to do your will, O God. This is a chronological study of the life of Christ. If Jesus needed to do it, so do we. Does that make sense to everybody? Any questions tonight before we close? A couple songs? Or, do you have songs for us tonight? No? All right. We'll just close with some questions. No worries, bro. And by the way, thank you. That was great, Rob. And all the folks that came out to help with worship tonight. It was awesome. Any questions on the passage or thoughts about it? Anything that's confusing to you or anything you'd like to add? Thank you, Pat. Nothing else? Come on, somebody's got something. You're looking like you want to jump in. Anybody? Nobody? All right. Agnes? You mean by water and by fire? Yeah. Um, perfect. We covered it today. And this is the way I look at it. There's two sides to the cross, right? We've covered this. There's two stations to the cross or two sides to the cross. One is a crucified side, yes? And you got to be crucified before you can be resurrected. Hello? So Christ is crucified, buried, resurrected. Crucified, buried, resurrected. Resurrection power of Christ. Dunamos. 
alighting on us as cloven tongues of fire, right? Empowered by the Spirit to go into all the world and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And you're immortal until God's done with you. And you can, you can say to that mountain, move, and it'll move. And by the power of God, you'll, you're going to see things transform. Miracles happen. Dunamis power. Amen? Amen. You want that? You got to crucify. You got to die and rely. The baptism of water is our death. The fire is the resurrection. You see how that works? Cloven tongues of fire. That's my picture of it. I hope it helps, Agnes. Amen. It's different. Oh, we'll talk more later. Anyone else? Okay. We'll close in prayer. Lord, thank you for tonight, and I, I thank you for Aaron and for Zach and for their faithfulness to rightly divide the word of truth and just to give them a break tonight. And Lord, I thank you for the, the body of Christ, the, the congregation that just comes to encourage and to equip and to train these fellows, that Lord, they would be shepherds of your people. And Lord, we thank you for the calling upon their lives. And Lord, we thank you for the folks that are just faithful week in and week out to not only pray for them, but to sit in, under their teaching to be encouraged by their teaching, also to affirm them, and also, Lord, to exhort them and challenge them. And Lord, I thank you for that. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Lord, I pray your continued blessing on these Sunday nights, that we would see it as a move of your Spirit upon future generations and fellowships that are going to be launched from, from, from this fellowship, that the, the, the presence of Christ would reach every corner of this community. And so, Lord, we pray strengthening and equipping upon uh, these young fellows that, that, Lord, they long to be shepherds. But, God, give them wisdom and give them patience to wait upon you. And we thank you for these nights of, of just training and strengthening in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Keep uh, Tomorrow morning, if you can join us, 630 uh, at the sign in front of the Civic Arts Plaza on Teal Boulevard. We'll be there. Half-hour prayer. Come and join us. Dress warm. I don't know how cold it's going to be. And we're going to do it every day of this week, Monday through Friday. Monday through Friday. And next Sunday night, no service, because it's Resurrection Sunday. Go and have a big roast and take a nap. Amen? All right, God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Thanks for coming out tonight.